Every play, every musical, begins with some writer putting words on a page. Hello, and welcome to Stagecraft, the Broadway radio podcast that talks to playwrights and musical book writers about the shows they've created. My name is Jan Simpson, and my guest this week is Robert Horn, who has adapted the iconic movie Tootsie into a musical that is one of the major hits of the Broadway season. It's been nominated for 11 Tony Awards, including for Best Musical and for Best Book of a Musical. My conversation with Horn runs a little longer than these interviews usually do, because as you'll hear, Horn is as engaging and entertaining as his show is. Hello, Robert Horn. Welcome to Broadway Radio. Well, first, we want to congratulate you and uh, Tootsie on all of your Tony nominations. I'll tell her. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's thrilling. It is beyond thrilling. Truly, truly, truly. You know, you you sit down to do a, to to write a project to start something, and you don't know where it'll go. And this is just icing on this glorious cake. Now, we usually start these conversations by telling our listeners what the show is about. I'm sure many of them are familiar with the movie uh, Tootsie, but it did come out almost 40 years ago. So could you just summarize briefly what the show is about? Sure. Tootsie is about, in a, in a log line, about uh, an actor who uh, is his own worst enemy and is basically told he can no longer do the one thing he loves more than anything in the world, which is act. He gets fired from his agent. He gets fired from every job he ever goes on. And he makes a really stupid and, and spontaneous decision to audition dressed as a woman and gets the part. And chaos uh, and humility and lots of life lessons and comedy in please. Now, when did you come into the process of turning this... Did that work? Was that good? That was excellent. Okay, good. When did you come into the process of turning this into a musical? Oh, about three years ago. Uh, I had done... You know, Scott Sanders and Carol Feynman, our producers, had had the project, uh, the property for a while, and it had gone through a series of incarnations with different people that I, I knew nothing about. Mm-hmm. And they, they sort of, something, whatever had happened, they decided they needed to start fresh um, a while ago and brought David Yazbek on, and then we're looking for a book writer. And I um, had done a reading of another musical called Moonshine, which is based on the TV show Hee Haw, um, mm-hmm. that he had come to see, and came to this reading and said I think that's our guy and I came in and I met with David and it sort of just took off from there. What drew you to the project? Had you been a Tootsie fan before or a Yazbek fan or what? Both (laughs) avidly Uh, you know I Tootsie listen Tootsie is is an iconic comedy it's you know it's it is the most perfect imperfect screenplay I'm a huge Larry Gelbart fan. I was weaned on the Larry Gelbart, Neil Simon, Woody Allen, Mel Brooks era of comedy that sort of um, influenced the kind of comedy I love to write. You know, Carol Burnett and Tony Fields and all those wonderful comics uh, and writers. And I was, of, of course, a fan of Tootsie. You know, many years ago, I, I worked in a movie theater on the Upper East Side in my early days of struggling to, to become successful in this business. And... Tootsie was playing at the theater that I was working at. So I saw 
Oh my God! Dozens of times. I would. I literally would sell it at the, to the concession stand, and <laughs> I would sneak in in between and watch the movie. And of course, I became obsessed with the comedy and the performances and the story because, you know, it's a story of desperation. It's a story about a guy. You know, we it, as artists are constantly told no. Our life is a series of rejections, and every once in a while, you get a win, and that win is what sustains you. And so I, I just related to the story, and I, 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 it was just very close to my heart. And I'm a, I was a, as a musical theater boy, and I loved Yazbek, and I loved Full Monty, and I, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels was one of my favorite musicals and one of my favorite scores. And I actually just took the meeting because I wanted to meet David Yazbek. <laughs> I was terrified when, when, they, when they actually called to say they wanted to meet with me on it. I, I, I passed on it at first. I was really terrified. It's such a target to have on your back. And again, it's such a, a perfect screenplay, but I knew that I didn't want to put the movie on stage. And as soon as I met with David and I knew that he saw the, the journey of this the same way I did, it just sort of was a match. Well, that's one of the things that's so great about your book, and I, and I think I can say it's great because everybody's saying it's great, is that while it's yeah. totally true to the spirit of the movie, it's also very different. So could you just talk a little bit about how you went through the process of deciding how to change it? Sure. You know, it's funny, the, you don't sort of make that decision, that decision finds you and guides mm-hmm. you. It, so we, I did know, I think David and I both agreed, um, as did the producers. And the wonderful thing about our glorious producers, Scott Sanders and Carol Feynman, are that they said to us, do not feel locked to anything. You, you, may, you do what you, feel, you guys feel is, is best for, for the show. And I, so we knew we want, we had to, and we needed to respect the DNA of the movie, that there was an energy and a comedy to, and a story that we, we knew we, we had to respect and wanted to. But we also knew there was so much about the movie, though perfect in the, at the time that the movie was made, could not exist in our current social climate. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing was, uh, and also, you know, the first decision we had to make is you always do when you write a musical, especially from source material, is why does it sing? What does it need to be a musical for? So that first decision of taking it out of the world of soap operas, which at its time were a, a, a popular form of entertainment and also a necessary um, a platform, daily platform, with a large female demographic. It doesn't, it doesn't exist anymore, obviously. And so uh, it exists, but not with the sort of, uh, with, with the, in the same way it did in that, at that time. So we came up with the idea of setting it in the world of musical theater, and two things happened. One is that sort of organically, everything just came into place. Suddenly, you knew why it sang. There was a reason for it to sing. And what slowly started to happen is that the show became a love letter to the American musical theater, which is all everybody involved in the in the show are, you know, we're all musical theater people. And so it actually started to become this love letter and it made it such a joy to write. And we then we sort of knew where we were going with it. And then we had a look at the characters from the movie and decide what characters do we keep? What do we not keep? Why were some of the characters there? Did we need them? And how do we then want to tell our story? I, a lot of people ask me, you know, they say, oh my God, I love that joke from the movie and that joke from the movie. And 
But we made a decision early on that we were going to write our show and not let the tail wag the dog. And that whatever made its way back from the movie would have to do so organically and that we couldn't do it the other way around. And so there's, there are, although you, you, you get the sense that you're watching the movie, it's not the movie at all. And one of the things that David and I felt strongly about, and that Scott Ellis, our, our wonderful director, guided us towards was making the comedy sound like the movie, but not be the movie, make it very much our own. There are jokes and stuff that I wrote for the, for the that people like, well, that, that was in the movie, right? And I'm like, no, it wasn't. Was it hard giving up some of the famous lines that were in the movie? Um, I'm thinking most yeah, especially yeah. of the, you know, how about Cleveland line. Yeah, uh, how do you feel about Cleveland? Well, you know, what I got to do is put little Easter eggs in the in the musical. So there's a, a moment in the second act, Stan the agent comes in, tells Michael that he got a job that he, he had wanted at the beginning of the movie. And Michael says, I can't take the job. Why can't you? Because he says, well, I'm doing my roommate's play. What play is it? And they say it's called, it, it, it takes place in one day in Cleveland. It's called One Day in Cleveland. And so I was able to sort of put a little <laughs> Easter egg to that joke in there mm-hmm. without doing that joke. I mean, you know, also as a, as a writer, with, with what I hope is a, a point of view and, and, and a style of writing, you, I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable putting somebody else's words on the stage and put my name on it. Larry Gelbart, uh, Elaine May, Murray Schistel, Don McGuire, they wrote a brilliant, really funny screenplay. And I didn't feel I should take credit for their work, that we needed to make it our own. You've already said that you were a fan of Gelbart's before you came to the project. Was it intimidating at all to work with the framework of his uh, project? That would be a resounding yes. <laughs> it's so intimidating. It's it's really intimidating, um, but also inspiring. And um, it's it's not like they, you know I took a movie that was just a an okay, bland, perhaps somewhat successful niche little you know uh, pop culture movie. And and this is a legendary film. This is AFI's number two comedy of all time, I believe. So yes, it's incredibly intimidating. But some of the work was also done for me because at its core is this glorious story. And so we had that to work from. You know, David and I really, and Scott Ellis, all, all along the way said to us, kept, we constantly kept going back to asking the question, are we, are, are we honoring the source material? Are we keeping true to the DNA of the source material? And that was always a litmus test for us as we made all these choices, because as you know, at seeing the show, we changed a lot of the plot points and story mm-hmm. beats and characters from the movie. How did you and and, and David Yazbek uh, work? Did you email? <laughs> did you sit together? We, and how did we, you work? We worked like two old Borscht Belt 
comic. We worked like those two guys in the Muppets sitting up in the balcony. That <laughs> that is. Um, we worked. We worked gloriously. I met David, and it was like a brother from another mother. It really was. We just had the same sensibility. You know, we're very different in so many ways. You know, he's a straight married guy. I'm a gay guy. We we have very different tastes in music, and yet almost our sense of comedy, the the prism through which we look at life is so alike and we just laugh all the time. So we would do, um, we would work often, I live in Los Angeles, although I'm back and forth. We worked on the phone and FaceTimed a lot. We made a lot of trips. The producers were so willing to say, however much you need to fly, however, wherever you need to go, we will send you. So we spent a lot, we spent the first year of developing this was just talking. We agreed we would not start writing anything until we knew the story we wanted to tell. So we spent a year just talking almost every day. And that really gave us a great foundation for which to build this comedy on. Huh, did you have a set time of and day then, then, when you talk or just? Well, no, there was a three hour time difference. So that right. always was a little tricky. It was not, it was often even, it was very often it was spontaneous. He would call me. Anytime during the day, I got an idea. Think, think about this. Uh, David tends to come up with really, uh, he, he'll frame an idea by saying, I know we can't do this, but wouldn't this be funny? And then I'll go, oh my God, that's brilliant. We're doing that. We're just going to do that. And then I would say, David, I have the stupidest jokes, but I'm going to pitch them anyway. And then he'll just start to do a spit take and I'll be like, okay, we're going to keep it. So um, it was, it was, you know, we would, we would figure it out and then we would, we would make a, you know, one of us would suggest a story beat that felt like I don't know if that can work. And then we'd say, let's take a couple of days, think about it, mm-hmm. and then let's talk. Let it, let it resonate for a while. And so there wasn't really, it wasn't a rigid schedule. It was mm-hmm. an active one. Now, you guys did a, a tryout in Chicago. Is that right? Correct. Were there any significant changes between that production and the one we're now seeing at the Marquee? The most significant change was about the seven pounds I gained. That, that, <laughs> and it's really 17, but I'm giving myself a little credit. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you know, I'd say about 20, 25% of the show changed. Chicago is a great town to try out uh, material because it's a really a great melting pot of urban and Midwestern and suburban. There's very savvy theater audiences. There's a lot of theater there. They know theater. They're very vocal about what they think. And so it really was a great place for us to hear the show every night over and over because uniformly they told us what didn't work and it was usually the same spot time. Can you give us one example? Yeah, you know, um, in order to give you the example, I'd have to tell you why it didn't work and I'm ready to do that, but I will Mm. give you an example. I'll give you two. The opening, we, we had a certain um, a way that the opening number played out that wasn't quite working. There was a surprise in it that still is there that worked well. But there was a, then it sort of went in a direction, there was a narrative that just wasn't quite working. And we were seeing from the audience, they were having a hard time connecting with the way that we were telling that narrative. Mm-hmm. So we made a big change to that, and now it works really, really well. Mm-hmm. And then there's another moment at the end of the show where Michael, was, where Dorothy reveals herself as Michael. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't working as well as we wanted to work. It 
felt a little shortchanged. It didn't have the impact that it had in the movie. It just didn't work exactly the way that we wanted it to. And so we went back to the drawing board with that and said, how can we tell the story differently? And went back to the source material where and decided to go back into the play within the play to tell that story. Whereas in Chicago, it was just sort of a, a an opening night speech and it, it didn't wasn't able to involve the rest of the characters as much so that the stakes were high enough. One of the changes um, that, that you, you made, I don't know if you made it in Chicago or where, is that in the movie, uh, Dorothy, the woman that the uh, actor is pretending to be, her suitor is an older guy. But in this one, he's a younger man, delightfully played by uh, John Billman. And I, I just wonder oh, how, so how you made the decision to switch from the older suitor to the this young, zany, daffy one. Well, do you want the true story or the story I tell? I want the truth. <laughs> the true story is this is not gonna this may not go over well, but I'm gonna say it anyway. The true story is I said to myself, if I'm gonna spend three years working on a musical, I want somebody beautiful to look at. So who's gonna take their shirt off? So I said, I'm gonna make him a young good looking guy. I love but it. I, the, that, and that's true, but also what it was is listen, I knew that I we knew that 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 we wanted that character to fall in love with Dorothy. Mm. And I think there's sort of, there has been, uh, I think it's changing, but there has been a trend to to cast celebrity in theater to sell tickets that is, I, we wanted to, to, we thought we could have fun with. And that the idea, mm. a, a guy who is, I, I really was loved the idea of bringing a character in that is told his worth is based on his aesthetic all his life. He's a great looking guy, got everything he wanted because he's great looking, but he falls in love with a woman that would, would that what I think society would look at as a, not a traditional beautiful mm-hmm. woman because she is able to give him the gift of seeing something in himself that he could never see, which is that he actually has talent. He's actually worthy of something more than just his aesthetic. And and I knew that that would be a beautiful part of the story to tell that wasn't in the movie. And it would not, that the comedy would not come from, oh, you know, here's this guy falling a lot. That it truly comes out of a journey for this, what could be a trope character, but that John Bellman brings such innocence and 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 and, and glory to it. Um, and I, I knew that that, would work better for our story. It really does. Um, there are a couple of other changes that you, you that you've made, and, and I'm not going to talk about those because I I want people to experience them. Um, when, <laughs> I know which one you're talking. About. Yes, I want people to <laughs> yeah. experience them when they see them. There is one, as I said, everybody is talking about what a terrific book this is because we've had so many transfers of movies uh, to the stage and some that haven't worked have been so faithful. And yours, as we've talked about, maintains, as you say, the DNA, but creates this wonderful, fresh entertainment. But there is one criticism I've heard and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you about Do it. Do I want to know it? Okay. Yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you about it <laughs> okay. because people have said uh, Dorothy becomes this real sensation, and there there there, uh, uh, but she becomes a sensation while the show that she's rehearsing 
uh, the Broadway show within a show is in previews. Was that something that you guys discussed? Because how could somebody become famous in previews? Well, if you look at Cynthia Erivo in Color Purple, as soon as it started to hit previews, everybody was saying, who's this girl? You've Mm got to go see the show. She's amazing. When Patti Lapone was doing a Vita, suddenly in previews, people were saying, have you seen her? Have you know her? And, you know, we the thing that I love about theater, unlike much of Hollywood, is that it is such a small, close-knit community. Word travels very, very fast. And what we never say is that, like the movie, Dorothy becomes this national sensation. She becomes a local sensation. She becomes, what mm-hmm. she says is, this show is making me a Broadway star. Her fame is local, not global. What Dorothy represents and stands for becomes a little more global. But the show is very much incestuous. It takes place within this community. And so, yeah, we did talk about that and about, you know, weighed out other choices along the way. Would this work better or would this work better? But, you know, there were so many examples of suddenly somebody hmm. hitting, you know, Bonnie Milligan in, in, in Head Over Heels. Head, I mean, yeah. some... Uh, and, yeah, an actor, actress will come along in a season, and from the from the first or second preview, everybody's talking about them. Good answer. Yeah. Good and, response. And, and that's one of the things I love about theater. Look, you know, it's sort of like I got I, you know, uh, it's the same thing happens for composers or writers. Something will start, and people will say, "Wow, this is you've got to see this." One of the other tricky things that you were able to navigate I think really well is the gender dynamics because so many uh, shows that were actual shows from the past they they worked within their decade they don't necessarily so now and so I'm I'm wondering how tricky was that for you in taking the gender dynamics of Tootsie which would be a little dicey today and (laughs) and making them uh work uh what again i think is so well in your show thank you um listen you know this was an ongoing conversation for three years i think it was a combination of many many things one an incredible um support team and and collaboration with really talented uh brilliant successful women uh, that are part of the show. I am not, you know, I, I know that I don't know what I don't know. And so it was a constant, it was a, it was an avalanche of me talking to people who know more than I do, women who have walked in the shoes that I have not, and asking and, and, and researching and, and uh, hearing other, hearing uh, women's experience. You know, I t- my, the story, I, I can tell a story of humanity. Um, but I can only tell it from my point of view. And so I, uh, A, you know, David and I and Scott Ellis opening ourselves up to all those conversations. And I think the other part of it is also that, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, uh, a, a gay man who was raised by um, all women, very strong women, my twin sister, my mom and my grandmother. And I, I guess it's sort of, you know, it's come out, you know, it's, it's been talked about that I was uh, taken away from my family when I was young was a ward of the state and grew up, you know, on my own. And, and I had a very strong mom who at a very young age gave me a confidence and strength. And I saw the world through that prism of being raised by strong women. And so 
I knew going into this, having watched the movie, which again is a wonderful screenplay, a lot of the women in the movie are portrayed as victims. Mm -hmm. You know, Julie, who was played gloriously, and then she uh, uh, she she won an Academy Award for it, obviously. But um, you know, she 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 drinks and she, she was played by Jessica Lange. Yeah, Jessica. Uh, oh yeah, I'm sorry, I should have Jessica Lange. Um, and and. But, you know, she, she's in a relationship with a guy that she knows is cheating on her, but she doesn't feel she deserves better, even though we know she's not worthy of it. And I knew that I, David and I both knew we had no desire to write that, that we wanted to um, empower, write powerful, strong women in this industry and represent the women in this industry. And also in the movie, Julie becomes, Julie finds her empowerment through a man dressed as a woman. And I knew I wanted to do the opposite. I wanted Michael Dorsey to learn his lesson and find his humility by having spent time with a powerful woman, with a woman who is confident and knows what she wants. And that was a, that was a really strong, um, I, 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 not that I got any resistance, but I knew early on that that was what I, the story I wanted to write. Then it's also, I also knew that, you know, this was a man, you know, the great thing about, about Santino, who is glorious in this. And, this is, is Santino he, Fontana, who plays. Santino, Santino Fontana, who plays both Michael Dorsey and Darcy Michaels. His litmus test for it, which is brilliant, was he knew that the audience would take the journey if they believed that the people on stage believed he's a woman. And so for him, it was not, it was about Michael Dorsey creating as, as, a, as a consummate actor, as an artist, creating a female character that the people orbiting around him would believe. And he did that by modeling the behavior of Dorothy Michaels off of the women that he encounters from the, during this experience. And so I think that that's sort of how we leaned into the, the um, gender issues and minefields that we face along the way. And, and well, a, that was absolutely, that was, that had no punctuation. It did it. I just kept <laughs> on okay. No, it was, it was another great, another great answer. And the show is, uh, is, is, is also a great show. I think you may be getting a lot of people who are thinking about adapting existing projects for the stage. You may be getting a <laughs> lot of calls. Um, we'll uh, see. <laughs> because you... Listen, I, I, I'll be... Thank you. Oh, that's so nice. I, you know, I... Without sounding corny or, or hopefully pretentious in any way, this is all I've ever wanted to do. I'm a musical theater boy from... From my my you know my first word was gypsy I believe <laughs> uh, you know I'm like a musical and and I, I all I've ever wanted to do is this and I this is you know I think my fourth musical but you know three sort of missteps along the way and they don't always work out um, it's, just, it's uh, all the other stuff all the you know all the all the nominations and all that it's so glorious and you you know you, you take but the fact that it's a community that said, "Yeah, you can. You're part of us now." Is is it's, it's this is an amazing community, and and uh, it's one of solidarity and support. It, it, you know, having worked in all all different areas of the entertainment industry, it amazes me that this is a community where somebody will say, "You know, I can't do this, or I'm not right for this," but here's somebody I know who is, 
it's it, it, it's competitive like any industry any of our of, of, you know of the art forms but it's it's a community that lifts each other up um it's quite it's, it's amazing it's, it's great to be a part of it well it's uh you're lifting a lot of people up with this show and we're all really grateful for it um audiences are enjoying it and i have to say i really enjoyed our <laughs> conversation too oh, so, nice. thank, so you. Thank, thank you again so much for joining us here on broadway radio and continued good sex uh success uh, with the show and in award oh, oh, season that first one was good too <laughs> <laughs> all righty all right thank you so much and thank you for joining us we hope you'll come back next time and that you'll listen to all the other Broadway Radio podcasts, which you can find on broadwayradio.com.